like his namesake, tonight we are going to be philosophising about a BTC great. So grab your toast because we're ready for Mr Marmite, Jason Plato. Hello and welcome back to the British Touring Club podcast and a very special edition tonight. We are going to be looking back at the hopefully, possibly, retiring Jason Plato. Yeah, we are once again back in the touring car recording cupboard booth that we have. Uh, and as you say, it is a Jason Plato special. Looking back at one of the icons of the sport. Uh, love him or hate him, you cannot deny his impact on the sport as a whole. And tonight we're going to be looking over the, his history, his rivalries and his sort of main achievements. We are convinced he is not coming back. Well, I'm convinced he's not coming back. Yeah, I'm fairly convinced he's not coming back. But... Maybe a guest drive at some point if he gets the right offer. That's why I massively look forward to the day this goes out live, him signing a deal for Toyota Gazoo Racing or something for the 2023 season. But Either that or WSR like everyone else at the moment. We are in talks of a special drive with WSR like everyone else, <laughs> it seems to be at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So, we are not, as you mentioned there, there's been a fair bit of news that's been coming of, over the last couple of days or so. We will not be covering any of that tonight. There'll be a follow up podcast probably next week to look at the various news in the silly season, which seems to get earlier and earlier every year. It's not even Christmas yet. I love it. Do I love you? it. Yeah. More than Christmas. It, it, it feels like it prolongs the season for me, which is... I just want a bit of turkey and peace without, without <laughs> worrying where Adam Morgan's going or thinking, what happens to Gamble? What the cranberry sauce? Well, Jason is certainly a driver that has been in, in the championship for the long run, isn't he? He's the most experienced driver, has the most wins... Not the most championships, although there are questions over to whether his longevity in the sport, he should have achieved that by now. Um, he's certainly had an up and down career and has had many battles along the way. We could have just read you the Wikipedia for him, but that's quite dull to be fair. So we've done a fair bit of research. Um, there will be mention to his book. We will not be going through his book in great detail. Buy it yourself. It's worth reading. No, I'm not commissioned to say that, but it is a funny read. So recommend you do that yourselves. Uh, Timothy Jason Plato, born the 14th of October 1967. He's an old boy now, isn't he, really? Well, I didn't say that. But, you might but say that. He's, he's still an extremely competitive racer. Um, he comes across great on camera and he's listed many anecdotes in his book, which I think you've read part of. There's a fantastic anecdote in there about him trying to fix an oil pipe under a caravan or camper van with a blowtorch. Yeah. So that seems like a sensible thing to do. Seems to be a good idea, tinkering away underneath. Yeah, so he's a bit of a nutter and he has had a long history of cars. Got Jason in his first go-kart, was involved with BMW dealings, etc, etc. So he's, yeah, he comes from a car-mad family. It's fair to say the apple hasn't fallen too far from the tree then, isn't it? No, (laughs) yeah, there's some excellent stories in there um, which I recommend you check out. Uh, He began his uh, racing career in karting uh, back in 1979 uh, and would compete in the 1981 uh, British Championship getting a team back in the very next year in the 1982 uh, with Mistral Racing. Uh, He raced against some greats. I'm just going to give you a couple of names of the people he karted with. Um, David Coulthard. Oh yes, heard him. Johnny Herbert? Yeah, heard of him. Uh, Zandini? Zandini? I haven't heard of him. Hakkinen? Yeah, yeah, know him well. Uh, some, Not personally. Somebody here called Michael Schumacher, whatever happened to him? 
Oh, I don't know. And a strange Frenchman who I've never come across, and we won't be discussing any other point during this podcast, uh, <laughs> Von Muller. Oh, Von Muller, lovely. So some The history goes well back. Absolutely. So, yeah, that is sort of his early foreign to racing. Like many people, started off in single-seaters, and that would continue in his early race careers as well. Uh, he started off in sort of competitive single-seaters all the way back in... 1990. There you go. Uh, yeah, in Formula Renault, uh, he came fifth in the championship first season and took a win along the way, which first season, big car racing, as it were, was back then, is a fairly good achievement. Agreed. He'd go even better in 91 in the Formula Renault Europe by taking the top step of the rankings. Championships, yeah. yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. So not bad in his second competitive season, taking outright championship. There was certainly... A little bit of buzz around him at this point. Yeah, he, he continued with single seaters up until sort of like 1996, where he raced across across all different series round about the same sort of vehicles, though. So mainly Formula Renault, either that British European, but also F3 in Great Britain as well. Uh, and in 1996, he won the Renault Spider Cup and was champion, and took ten wins along the way. This helped him get into the touring cars. This is going to be the sort of the first deep dive, if you like, which is the Williams era, mm-hmm. where Frank Williams uh, and the Williams team were uh, preparing the Renaults for the touring car season. Uh, and despite being hopeful for securing a drive in 1997, Will Hoy had left the year before. Uh, sorry, had left at the end of that season. So there's a space going alongside Alain Menu. Uh, Plato was felt that he didn't have the uh, necessary profile for the drive. This obviously didn't sit well with Jason, who hasn't got a great history at just taking things lying down. So after mulling over the decision for a few days, he woke up full of anger uh, one morning and decided he was going to travel to the Williams HQ at 5am in the morning. Oh yeah, that seems like a brilliant idea. He would then sit in the car park, uh, smoke his way through a pack of cigarettes and decided to doorstep uh, the Williams boss at the headquarters in Didcot. Now, to give you a quote from Jason Plato, I basically sat in the car park, smoking myself into oblivion, eating mints and speaking to my dad for the best part of a three and a bit hours. Frank's car then came in and off I went after him with my briefcase, which was empty. I tried to break into a cool walk as he parked up. It was awkward to say the least. I was at the car door staring at Frank, also forgetting that he needs assistance to be taken out of the car. I had this horrible gut-wrenching awkwardness thinking, what the hell am I doing? I begged and pleaded with him to give me five minutes of his time, which he agreed to, after a bit of negotiation. It was probably one of the proudest moments of my life. Had I not done what I did that day, I would not have had a touring car career. So, after much wrangling, Plato was able to secure an agreement with Frank Williams that he could have a test drive between himself, Gianni Morbidelli and Jean-Christophe Bourillon, uh, the idea being that the person who'd set the fastest time would become the driver for that 1997 season. Plato, perhaps unsurprisingly, won the shootout and was promptly uh, promoted or signed up to uh, go alongside Alain Menu for the 1997 season. It wasn't his first experience in a touring car, however. Uh, Back in 1994, he did have a test drive in the Nissan in touring cars. He did. Um, But, I don't know, it never really came to anything. Um, And he needed this push, as it were, (laughs) to get himself in through the door, foot foot firmly uh, in the closure. Um, And it went fairly well for him in his first season, didn't it? It did, took some podiums along the way, ultimately not enough to oust Alamenu, 
um, in terms of who finished higher in the championship. But a solid first season, finishing third. Yeah, finished third overall with two wins, four poles, and as you say, nine podiums along the along the way in what would go on to be a fairly famous Renault Laguna, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, can you think of another driver that's done had the the cojones? Yeah. To, um, we're not just talking about with respect. You know, sidestepping anyone. You're sidestepping Frank Williams, the mm. guy that has overseen one of the most successful F1 periods with yep. the Williams team at that point, and they were still successful in, in yeah. the 90s as well. You're not just talking about, with respect, the guy who's currently heading. Uh, it's not Gunter Steiner, is it? Let's put it that way. It is one of the all time greats, and Frank Williams mm. is, goes down as one of the all time greats. Yeah. And you've had the brass neck to go and sit in his car park and basically. There was Nag him. Yeah, yeah basically. There was, there was so much on the line with that. Is It could have gone so many different ways. Yeah. It could have been, no, I'm not talking to you. Or, yeah, here's the chance. And then he got the test driver and he may have come third out of the three drivers. And then a bit of egg on his face and gone, oh, okay, maybe I'm not ready yeah. for it yet. Which would have then probably even damaged his hopes even further. I don't think you've got another chance. So, so competitive. You've got to set the scene for that period of touring cars where they the cars were monsters. Yep. There wasn't a lot of personal backing. All the, the there were major budgets involved as well. All manufacturers. Yep. I mean, the fact that Frank Williams and Williams were even able to prepare a car. Mm. You know, Mercedes are not going to be preparing. Sorry, Mercedes F1 team are not going to be preparing Mercedes for the British touring cars. It's never no. going to happen. Ever, no. ever, ever. Red Bull aren't. Red Bull probably might. Well, they might, but let's be honest, they're not going to. No. Yeah, it was a huge era, and you look at the driver caliber in that era as well. The names on that roster—it's a scary place, and all the cars were fairly well matched. Fairly well matched. Yeah. Uh, you know, because there was a high caliber driver, because the budgets were there, because the manufacturers were there, it didn't matter so much what car you drove as it does today. They were absolutely pushing what was possible with those sorts of cars, those saloon cars. Yeah, you were trying to hit the pinnacle of development and stuff in F1. But the cars that were coming through in that era, in the Super Touring era, were having so much money spent on them, so much development done, like you would probably see nowadays in F1, just trying to gain that extra tenth or even half a tenth. If I can just give you some names that he was competing against in that season. Frank Biela, John Binkliffe, obviously Menu, Rick Rydell, David Leslie, Anthony Reid, Clennand, Warwick, Hoy, Radish, Thompson, Tarquini, Harvey. I mean, these are... Matt Neal was there, but... In the independence, it's not so much, but you know, that is a roster of just pure, pure mm-hmm. class, isn't it? Yeah, um, and it was it was very much more focused on the drivers and what they could get out of the car, then as well, because the cars were so closely matched, absolutely. So, that's sort of Plato's first foray into the touring cars. You say that car was quite iconic, it was the uh, yellow and blue, yep. BT, uh, BTCC Renault a couple of years later they go and change to that I, even more iconic if you ask me Nescaf, Nescaf gold yeah. green blend um, although yeah the, the yellow and blue Renault is well I think actually any car from that era is pretty mm. iconic isn't it just because of how good they all were uh, yeah I mean that that was the era when Toka Racing Games were out as well yeah. um, and you would always see those cars on the front of on the front of game cases and stuff and how many Escape Electrics models are there of these sorts of cars? Loads. Absolutely loads. Um, 
So, yeah. In sort of like the following years, though, 1998, 99, and 2000, he went on to finish fifth in the championship in each of those years. So, trying to find his footing, I think he was. Absolutely. You know, the regulations changed more regularly than they did now, I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, 97 was quite controversial because Audi decided they were going to try to bring a four wheel drive system to the uh, grid, and it was actually allowed. They were just given penalty mm-hmm. points. So, you know, it was. Regulations weren't necessarily as watertight as they were now, so I think there was a, uh, yeah, as you say, you've got to make allowances for finding your feet and trying to maximise any loopholes in the in the regulations as well. Yep. So with these cars, there were plenty of things that you had to take into consideration, trying to wrestle them around the track. They weren't small, light, nimble machines. They were they were big old behemoths of cars, uh, and to take into that, you also had to consider championship battles and player players. <laughs> drivers that he was having to battle against yeah and 2001 saw the first great rivalry i think we probably agree plato had two main rivals and one more friendly arrival yeah muller to begin with uh, matt neal the matt neal years yeah. and then giovanardi but that was a bit more respectful and yeah. um we'll get on to that in a bit so before we go into the muller plato i just want to say if this was f1 it would be a movie yeah. Like, this is such a bonkers you don't believe it and while well, you're reading it and you know watching it etc that this would be to me this is up there with Hunt um, Lauda it's up there with Prost and um, Senna yeah yeah. this is to me a, an all time classic so just rivalry just leading into this Plato and Muller had been in the championship since 1998 together um, 1998 Plato scored 163 points Muller scored 110 99, Plato scored 122, Muller 119, getting closer. And then in 2000, Muller beat Plato by 8 points, 168 to 160. Um, and then 2001 happened. Yeah, so as a bit of scene setting, you've got to remember this was the first season after the Super Touring Car era. So the yep. rules had changed, and this meant a smaller grid in terms of actually competitive cars. It was a Looking back now, it was an absolute shambles of a grid. You had three different classes. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and you only had one team. Your respect to the other drivers on the grid, there was only uh, one team. This, just look at the results. Um, the top four drivers were all in Vauxhalls. <laughs> and Vauxhall was the car to be in. There was Alfa Romeo, uh, Peugeot, Lexus um, and MG who were also in the manufacturer-backed classes. Um, the first three were dreadful, and MG, who were semi-decent, didn't compete all the rounds. So that yep. kind of tells you where you needed to be. Uh, drives on the grid did include Reed, Warren Hughes, remember him? Yep. Uh, Thompson, Neil, Dan Eves, Soper, Harvey, Dave Pinkney. Prio, wow. Prio, Shedden, Matt Jackson. No, not the same one. Uh, well, a Matt Jackson. A Matt Jackson. Yeah, I don't think it'd be the, it might be the same it one. It is the same one. Wow. I didn't realise he started that long ago. Yep. Uh, Rob Collard, Paul O'Neill. But as I said, the grid was split into works, indie and production entries. And if you wanted to be anywhere, you wanted to be in the Vauxhall. What was also quite interesting is they they did different starts. So the the main lot would go first, then the second lot, and then the third lot. I vaguely, very vaguely remember those weird happenings of where they were set off in stages. Um... Yeah, this was sort of like the era that I began getting sort of interested in it. So Vauxhall had um, Muller, Plato on the same team, Phil Bennett and James Thompson on the other team. 
All four finished in the top four of the championship. The close competitor was Dan Eves in the Peugeot, and he was 221 points off top. Yeah. So that tells you everything you need to know. Uh, tensions would begin between uh, Plato and Muller at Donington Park, where they decided to ditch the fact they were driving for a well-respected uh, well respected brand and decided they wanted to do some banger and stock car racing. Uh, contact was plenty throughout the lap, and if you can find it, it is on YouTube. I it's the best three minutes of your life you're going to watch. Yeah, it is three, sorry, two cars just knocking seven grades of body panels yeah. out of each other. Uh, yeah, it's not what you want. And don't hit your teammate went straight out of the window. And by both drivers, mm. neither were um, innocent in this. Not willing to give an inch, were they? They um, weren't. Just bear in mind that this is only, this is six rounds into the season. Yeah, it is. This isn't like coming down to the absolute crunch time. No. So, so Donington Park was a little bit of foreplay for the blue paper moment of the come, which was at Silverstone. Now, Muller was leading the race. Plato, in his own words, was beaten at this point, going into the final lap at Silverstone. Plato wasn't going to make up the space. But Muller had fuel issues. And this is proven in Jason Plato's book. He's produced the graph that shows that Muller's car <laughs> had run out of fuel. Of course he has. So in the last lap, Plato started to reel in Muller as Muller was very slow and trying to preserve as much fuel as possible to be able to get to the finish. Uh, Plato, reeling him in, took a, I'd say, a, a lunge to take the lead. However, Muller defended it in a way that you would not be able to defend it now, to put it, to put it um, politely. Uh, the lunge was not clean, contact was made, and Muller... Um, would then go on to refuse to shake Jason Plato's hand on the podium. A fairly iconic moment in the sport. Mm. Plato would go to the top step, reach his hand for Muller, who shook his head and just looked away, which not the most sporting of most. Particularly if you're Muller, you know the car's run out of fuel. You know what's going on. You know, if, even if you don't know it's run out of fuel, you know it's got an issue. You're not going as fast as you could. Yep. You've got an issue. Take your medicine. This wasn't where things would end. Plato would go on to lose this win as he was handed a 30-second time penalty for the incident. Now, the person that requested this penalty was his own team boss. <laughs> I know. It's mad, isn't it? Oh, that his wow. own team appealed to the stewards about the result. Jeez. That is the stone sight. And that is where the team politics really, really came to a head. You don't say. When your own team are trying to fight against you to someone else who is in your team. Amazing. Um, Plato had to borrow a checkbook from co-owner Ian Harrison, who was more in Plato's side of the camp, to appeal, because Ch Plato's checkbook was in his car, and he didn't have time to go and get it to launch the appeal. However, he wasn't successful, and that's why when he talks about the win that was taken away from him, and how he counts his wins higher, he counts this as a win, because there's no reason it should have been taken off him when yep. you look at the fact that Muller's car was out of fuel and shouldn't have defended the way he did. Yep. Yeah, so that is pretty shocking in its own Way. And I say this caused further friction within the teams, uh, and at this point it was now split into two you know, two parts. You were a team mother or you were a team Plato. And mother was the one that was backed by the team overall. Uh, next up was Donington Park, uh, and that was a fairly clean race, although they had a lot of contact again, including right off the starting line, literally came together as the green light went out. It was. Oh yeah, unbelievable. And then the final race and the final bit of drama. Brands Hatch. Plato actually attended the track with his lawyer because he was expecting of course he did. Where he was expecting problems to begin. And there was a problem. Plato was called to the stewards at the start of the uh, race day to be told he had too many penalty points on his uh, license and therefore couldn't compete the final rounds. Now, who had told the stewards, you might ask? Well, that'd be his own team boss again. <laughs> who had gone to the stewards to explain that Plato had got too many uh, points on his license and therefore shouldn't be able to compete. 
Plato was able to get dispensation from the rest of the teams uh, to race, uh, but this pretty much put the writing on the wall that he could not stay at Vauxhall going into you know, future seasons. Uh, there was obviously no way back from this. Now, cutting back to the race, Jason Plato spun off on the first lap. It was bucketing it down at Brands Hatch, the sort of weather that I think we should be racing in, but you always look at it and go, well, you have to figure the safety and the tyres and all of them. Mainly an F1, I might, might add. <laughs> They're racing drivers. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so Plato spun off. Thankfully for him, he hit the tyre barrier, but bounced back across, so he was able to get the car going and compete still. And in a final twist, Muller had cut Surtees a couple of times due to the rain. Uh, and in doing so, because in those days the tracks weren't necessarily as well kept as they are now in terms of the grass, he had managed to rip open an oil line, an oil rut, sorry, which caused a fire underneath of his car, and he had to uh, a fire. Um, he had to pull over uh, and retire the car. Now, if Plato won, sorry, if Muller won, Plato had to finish third or higher to win the championship. But obviously, if Muller out of the question, Plato just had to finish basically, and did so. So he finished second on the road, and that was enough to win his first championship, the championship he was never supposed to win. Mm. It's an exciting one, isn't it? It's a film. Uh, yeah. Yeah, as I say, if that was an F1, that is a film. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get a kind of, if not a film, at least a, an ITV documentary into this um, in, in Now He's Retired, because it is a fascinating story. There are much more details in his book about it, which, as I say, feel free to read at your leisure but the team politics are just crazy when your own team are going to the stewards against you because you want they want Muller to win the championship so just to round up how that championship finished of the 26 races he took 8 wins 7 poles 24 podiums as I said the car was unbeatable um, and 11 fastest laps over that time um, but due to all the politics and the shenanigans um, the following season he was looking else to race elsewhere well he had to because obviously he couldn't go race at Vauxhall and there was no other team to race at because Vauxhall won every single race that year apart from a race that Anthony Reid won which didn't count for points anyway yeah so that was one of Plato's wins as such throughout the season yeah so yeah it was it, as I said it was Vauxhall where it was no one and in 2002 Plato had no one yeah, so he went off and did Ascar, uh, which is sort of like British stock car racing. and he actually Which he was quite good at, surprisingly. Yeah, managed to finish third in the championship. Well, oh, I don't know. Is, would his driving style work then? It's, uh, yeah. He'd honed his skills, shall we say, in 2001. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Very much um, so. I, I implore you to go watch the YouTube footage if you've not seen it. Just type in Muller v Plato and you'll get superb footage of particularly the Donington Park stuff. Yeah. So following on from that, in 2003, he took what looked like a sabbatical, really. Um, didn't do much racing at all. Almost took a year out to contemplate what his next moves were going to be. Um, work out what his options could be, where he wanted to go, and who sort of wanted him to drive, really. Um, but back in 2004, he was back. He was back in the British Touring Cars, and back with Sayat. Um, well, that's it for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Back. Yeah. Backed by Sayat. Backed by Sayat. Um, and it appears that he hadn't lost any of his touch at all, finishing third in the championship. 28 races this season, took seven wins, two poles, 13 podiums, and four flying laps, fastest laps even. Um, and then in 2005, he 
shared his workload, shall we say. It's the year he competed in both the World Touring Cars and the Touring Cars, isn't it? Yeah, so he did a full season of British Touring Cars, finishing fourth overall with three wins, a pole, 11 podiums, three fastest laps. Do you see a trend here? It's quite good at the sharp end, isn't it? Or was quite good at the yeah. sharp end. Um, and in the World Touring Cars, he completed eight races there as well. Um, and surprisingly, wasn't too shabby. Um, and then his real comfort and dominance started to... Uh, started to shine through from 2006 onwards and so, so like this part of his career was almost the brilliance of him and the consistency and the absolute raw pace that he had and the beginning of a rivalry with Matt Neal yes yes exactly so I'll give you a quick overview of the next 10 years of racing 300 races 70 wins 139 podiums with 33 pole positions and 57 fastest laps. And in that time, he didn't finish outside the top three in the championship. Which, when I told you this the other day, you were astounded by, weren't I you? I still am. It's crazy. The, the consistency is absolutely mad. It's, yeah, it's... I don't necessarily think he necessarily gets the credit for how good he was in that era because he didn't win mm. the ultimate championship, but... Yeah, I mean, only, only one of those years in 2010 did he take the championship. He finished second in 2006, second in 2007, third 2008, second 2009, the win in 2010, third in 2011, third in 2012, third in 2013, second in 2014, second in 2015. And these weren't, like, all in the same car, same manufacturer. Right. These were shuffled about all over the place with different cars, different manufacturers, and he was still able to jump in and perform that well. I'd also say, it might be slightly biased, but I think he was always in car that a car that wasn't quite the best. Yeah, you relatively. Think, you think 2006, those Integras, which, hmm. controversial, we'll leave it at that, were nigh on unbeatable, I think. Let's put it this way, he wasn't very kind to them in the interview that he did with Matt Neal and Johnny Smith. No, because they were, um, and they were very controversial. And very controversial. Because yes. they were, to, to cut a long story short, that model was never sold in the UK, and therefore there was an argument it shouldn't be able to be in the touring cars. Yeah, which Jason has argued still to this day, but he, has, yeah. he, he can't go back and change history, unfortunately. And then in 2007, he had his uh, Caparo accident with fifth gear, meaning he went into the final round of the championship badly burnt which I imagine would affect your ability to race yeah, it, would, it, it can't help it no so I think that uh, that's another one that perhaps there's, there's extenuating circumstances for a couple of them but ultimately he should have won more yeah a couple of the, the years along the way I'm going to focus in on now um, starting back in 2007 as you say he had that injury towards the end of the season after doing a little bit of filming with fifth gear which was sort of like his side job almost yeah, yeah. Um, and came into the final round battling with Giovanardi um, and the, it was an interesting final round because he was in the lead of the championship and it was in his hands if you pardon the pun um, but he eventually finished just three po points behind Giovanardi and that was all down to that last race in that season so coming into there, Jason was in the lead. Giovinardi took two wins in the first two races. Jason finished second in both of those. So Giovinardi also got the extra point for being pole sitter and leading a lap and stuff like that. And just trying to nibble away at the advantage that he had. And then going into the final race, um, Jason Plato pretty much 
had to just finish directly behind Giovinardi to clinch the title. Um, unfortunately, Giovinardi had a superb weekend, finished second in that final race to have a 1-1-2, and Plato actually finished fourth, which means there was a big enough swing in the points for Jason to finish three points behind. And their battle continued, didn't it, throughout the next couple of seasons. Um, I think that's certainly which, probably the, the tightest Plato's been involved. I think, yes. to, to lose by effectively four points. Yeah. Um, and you look at the results that season, both of <coughs> them were just so consistent. It's ridiculous. Plato didn't retire a single race that season. Didn't finish outside the points a single race that season. Yeah, he finished every race in the top eight. Yeah. Which he is had six crazy. wins to Geo's ten. Uh, but he had 11 podiums to Geo 7. Um, and that was also the season that they clashed through Bombhole, if you remember. Yeah, and Geo had a fantastic reputation that year of taking double wins. Yeah. He was so good at getting double with four double wins that season. It was something he was kind of known by as well, yeah. wasn't it? He was, And Plato alludes in, the, um, in his book that it was a, a friendly rivalry. Giovinardi beat them in the right way. Mm. Um, and they seemed to have a lot of respect for each other. Plato... Um, Seems to have a lot of respect for Italy and Italian drivers, period. When he was karting as a youngster and he went to Italy for the first time, he just realised how good, how passionate, how strong they are as racing drivers. I think that probably played into it a little bit here as well. Yeah, so his next closest championship battle was in 2009, and that was with one Colin Turkington, who some of you may or may not know. Um, And he finished five points behind Colin that season, but... The special part of this season is he is one of only two drivers to take a treble win over a race weekend. The other being... Danny, Seth Thruxton. Well done. Um, So yeah, coming into the final round, Jason was a fair way behind. And it was looking unlikely, but still possible. Um, And he did everything in his power he could. He took pole. He had fastest lap... uh, Sorry, he led pretty much every lap and won all three races with Turkington finishing 8th, 3rd and 2nd but it still wasn't quite enough to win the championship I remember that car quite well actually the blue RML Chevrolet yes um, yeah which he was that the year he flipped it at Donington ooh that's a good question I remember I remember the, that car for being I upside down I don't think it was that year right okay I remember um, that car yeah. But yeah, I do I remember that actually. Being upside down, yeah. I can't quite I still can't quite understand how he went that far off the road no. at that point of the circuit. No, I'm quite surprised. Yeah. Um so yeah, Plato won four of the last five races actually. Um he took seven wins overall to Turkington's six. He had nine podiums to Turkington's eight. Um and throughout the season he had two non point scores and two retirements, but both those retirements were from starting on pole. It's very much a case of what could have been that season. I think that you can say that to an extent about his entire racing career. Yeah, very much so. Um, and then sort of like the third or the final close one uh, was against Shedden in 2015. So Plato going or finished just four points behind Shedden that season. And this was when Shedden and Neil were fairly dominant in the sport weren't yeah, they absolutely that they had the honda type r uh, civic which was again a very well oiled well run machine which yeah very difficult to beat yeah they uh, they won a good combination of races between them jason didn't get off to the best start of the season having a retirement and a non-score 
in uh, two of the first three races at Brands Indy. Um, and throughout that season, he did go on to win six races to Shedden's four. He only had four other podiums, though, which I think is where he's probably been let down in this season um, to Shedden's seven. He also had six non-point scores. And how often do we say, say it nowadays? It's that consistency of point scoring it is. that will get you that championship. Made famous by Colin Turkington, really. Yes, very much so. Um, he, Jason even took a win in the final round of the season, um, but it wasn't quite enough with Shedden finishing fourth. Um, out of those three, which do you think was the best championship? Out of which three, sorry? So the one that he lost out to Giovinardi, the one that he lost out to Turkington, and the one that he lost out to Shedden. Giovinardi. Yeah. Uh, Because there was, I think that for the first time, or actually out of those three, I think that it was, they were really closely matched. Obviously, Plato was in the Sayat Leon. Yeah. Um, VXR had moved to the Vectra for that season. But actually, I think it was a really, really close match between the cars. They, some suit, uh, the the more hatchback design suited some circuits, the, um, saloon style of the Vauxhall suited other circuits I thought it was really good and he had the interesting dynamic that at VX Racing that year you had Tom Chilton and Alain Menu um, as well uh, although Menu was only there for one round to be fair Menu has raced some strange vehicles over his time you remember when he was in the uh, VW Passat as well yeah he did for a season he, yeah, I want to say he was in a Ford Focus at one point but yeah. might be mixing him up with Prio, no I think he was Anyway, yeah, so, um, and at Sayat, alongside players that year, he had Darren Turner and Tom Coronel for a round. Mm. I'm just looking over the list of names in that year. Yeah. Star stud, isn't it? Um, no. No? I don't think it is. Well, top end is. Top end. Mm. Geo, Plato, Shedden, Neil, Turkington. Darren Turner is an underrated driver in my eyes. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think the touring cars was his forte. No. But being the Stig was. Allegedly. Um, Allegedly, yeah. But yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Turner is an underrated driver. And of course, yeah, Matt Jackson, Jordan, Chilton, Onzo Cole. After that, it gets a bit meh for me. Yeah, there's some well-known names there, though, certainly. It doesn't make it good, though. <laughs> no, some of them weren't at their prime. Mm. Let's put it that way. Yeah, let's set the better. Owen Murray did well to go from hosting Five Live to racing. I'm guessing it's a different Owen Murray. Yes, I think it is. So then, looking to his 2010 title win, he was in the Chevrolet Cruze, which was sort of like the the rounder version of the Lasetti. Yeah. Um, Silver line backing. Yes, it was, um, and I believe it was actually this season that he did manage to roll it at Donington. Possibly. It was the first race, and he retired. That'll make a lot of sense. Bearing in mind, he retired in that and came back to a double podium that weekend, which kind of showed how dominant that car was. He scored 260 points, uh, won the championship by 31 points from Matt Neal, had seven wins, nine podiums, two poles, five fastest laps, um, and the double win at the final round managed to clinch it for him. Um, It was a fairly dominant performance that season as well. It was, and it had been even more sweet for him that he beat Matt Neal to the title. That was the uh, Giovinazzi competed the first round and then dropped off the face of the, the grid, which is... Well, face of the earth. I'm not sure I've ever yeah. seen him since. <laughs> he competed for the opening round of Triple Eight, and then the Triple Eight team left the championship uh, after Giovinazzi had taken a first, a first, and a fifth. And quite worryingly, I think, for the sport, he finished 14th that season out of a yes. field of 29. 
Yeah, I've got that written down on my notes about Geo. Is that he still got thirty-eight points that season, only competing in three races, and he won two of them. Yeah. Less said about that, the better. I think this was the year where you had a lot of circus, uh, well, merry-go-round rather, where lots of drivers came and did a little bit here it, and there. It was very much that e- era, it wasn't was, it? Yeah. I mean, Dan Lloyd competed one round. Some of the names that stand out, well, Sean Hollenby did a whole season, to be fair to him. Uh, ben Collins. The, the Stig. The, the Stig. Uh, Sam Tordoff. Andy Neat. Yeah. Martin Depper. Phil Glue. Is that a name? Jeff Smith. Yeah, Phil Glue does commentary nowadays sometimes. Oh, does he? Yeah. Jeff Smith, who was in the Eurotech Hondas later yep. on in life. And, and suffered a bad accident at Croft. Um, yeah, it, I think that would be one he likes the, probably the most. What, what, what would be sweeter to him, do you think? Beating Muller or beating Neil? Hmm. I think probably beating Muller. Because of everything that went round with it. He did it when he wasn't meant to do it. See, I think he had so many people working against him in the team and mm. he still managed to pull through and get what he needed. Whereas this 2010 championship, he'd been so close in the previous seasons that it was almost like, yes, finally. That's more of a relief win than anything. See, I disagree, personally. I think this, this was at the height of the unpleasantness of Neil. We had the Rocket and Pit Lane incident a year later. Yep. Yeah, this, they were... Uh, they, they, they hated each other let's be fair they hated each other at this mm. point they've, they've freely admitted that at, you know. at times on their interviews that they've done yeah they've reconciled now but this was a real spiteful era between the two so I think this would have he'd enjoy this a lot personally and perhaps do you think that's because one. he had a longer rivalry with Neil I think he had a more bitter rivalry with Neil the thing with Muller is was it a rivalry with Muller was it the team you know, yeah the, obviously the, the flashpoint was the not shaking his hand at Silverstone and that's sort of the iconic bit of from that era but it didn't get to the needle level that it did with Matt Neal mm. you know I mean it got to the point where Jason Plato needed to sneeze in the wrong direction and Honda would be appealing to the stewards and if Matt Neal turned up with the you know a different shade of yellow on his helmet the, the Chevrolet running to the stewards to mm. you know it was it was a really spiteful nasty era between the two so I think the one over over Neal will be better or he'll he'll have enjoyed more okay. I think personally fair enough fair enough um, and then came I'm going to call this the barren years. It seemed to just all capitulate a little. Well, you say that. A third in 2013 and two seconds in 1415. No, I mean from 2016 onwards. Oh, from 2016 onwards. Sorry, I've gone back back too far of the title win. Yeah, sorry. So he had the brilliant years from 2006 to 2015. Ten years of near enough brilliant driving and only got one championship out of it somehow um, and then 2016 it t- started to tail off um, he started with the Subaru finished 7th in the championship which is respectable but nowhere near the levels that he'd been achie- achieving in just the previous 5 years yeah it's fair to say there's a lot of issues with the Subaru Yes. Leave it at that for now for, for, so, for some, legal reasons. <laughs> some drivers were able to drive round it and Plato wasn't able to find that way. Well, there's suggestions that this chassis was damaged early on and never properly rebuilt due to budget reasons or, yeah. other, or other reasons. Allegedly, uh, yeah. But he, of... he was at Subaru BMR 
however many iterations they had with them uh, for three seasons and he finished 7th, 12th and then 27th in the championship yeah, 27th, that's the one that really sticks like a sore thumb isn't it because yeah. that was appalling and he knew he needed to change so he did he went to PMR, got a drive in the Astra finished 7th in the championship that season obviously he was out in 2020 due to Covid PMR were only doing guest drives and stuff like that um, and then in 2021, he came back and finished 14th with them. And then it's fair to say that this this previous season wasn't wasn't a swan song, was it? Finishing 17th with BTC Honda. He took a podium. Yeah, he did. Not quite those 100 wins that he was looking for. Um, and in fact, over the previous six seasons that he's raced, he only got three wins in that time, 20 podiums, four poles, and three fastest laps, which is a huge difference to those previous 10 years yeah it reminds me a bit of Michael Schumacher in that he came not that he left and came back but obviously Schumacher had those wonderful years at Ferrari yep. finished up at Mercedes didn't do a great deal at Mercedes no. if we're being honest and sort of went out of a bit of a whimper perhaps that's a bit harsh given how well Schumacher but you, yeah. you know what I mean and, and Alonso and Vettel are doing it to a similar degree Obviously, we've lost Vettel from the F1 grid this year, and he's gone out with a little bit of a whimper in the mm. last couple of seasons. And you kind of feel Alonso's going the same way, though he'll probably compete at least 70. Because <laughs> he yeah. can. Or plan. Spite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sort of outlive every F1 team principal, yeah, yeah. isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I'm with you. I think it was a bit of a disappointing bow out from Jason Plato. But you also look at the way touring cars changed. He wasn't in, certainly for those years, the, the Subaru wasn't. Was it good? Was it not good? I don't know. I, I don't know if the Super was good or not. For one year it was. I was going to say, Sutton was able to win a title in it. So, we Sutton. know how good Sutton is, obviously. Sutton could win a title in a 4KA. I mean, whatever he's know. been driving. Um, but to sh- show up is a bit of a, a bit of a harsh way to put it. But to beat him as he did in the same machinery. Yeah, but there's also an element of the changing of the guard, isn't there? Oh, yeah. You know, Plato is... Yeah, a lot older than everyone else on the grid. Matt Neal knew when it was time to quit when he was, you know, struggling to compete at the sharp end of the grid. He knew when it was time to bow out. He hasn't ruled out coming back. Just putting that out there. He hasn't, <laughs> but I, I, I know it's silly season, but I'd be amazed if we see Matt Neal back. In yeah, it. so would I. Maybe as a guest drive once, and maybe I'd quite like to do a battle of champions one day where we have. Mm. I think that'd be great for the sport. We just yep. have a one-off. It doesn't count for anything, but we have anyone that's won a title was able to enter. Yeah, well, you get like racer champions at the end of yeah. the sort of like motorsport season where you have the different countries compete against each other yeah that would be quite cool to see or an equal machinery that'd be great yeah that'd be, that would be great but yeah it won't happen because it won't um so yeah i think that he went out of a little bit of a whimper and it's a bit disappointing but i suppose the biggest question is he's a two-time champion how many do you think he could and perhaps should have won looking at sort of like the statistics like i like to do Statman Sam. <laughs> Four, almost certainly. Agreed. Um, possibly the fifth. Where do you think the, the extra three could and should have come from? Well, I th- the ones where he was that close. Yeah. Be it Giovinardi in 2007, 2009 against Turkington, and 2015 against Shedden. I mean, the combined gap with all of those is 12 points off of the title. The combined? Yeah, so he was three points behind in wow. 2007, five points behind in 2009, and four points behind in 2015. 
that's mad, isn't he's it? He's 12 points off of five titles there. So that's basically one extra, uh, two extra points this season, basically, would have got him. Yeah, two or three. Yeah, it's... Well, four, actually. It's, four, it is four, ridiculous. Four points. Yeah. Mass was never my strong points. Four <laughs> points a season would have done it. It is ridiculous. And I, I looked a little bit further into sort of like the rivalry he's had with Neil because Neil has... They've almost grown through the sport together. Yeah. Um, and all the way back in 1998, Neil was there as well. Yes, he wasn't... He was just starting out and he was getting used to it and stuff. Egg. Sorry. He was an egg motorsport. Oh, right, it? okay. That's a bit random, mate. That's a bit of the egg. Um, and so he was in sort of like a lower class of car back then. Yeah, he was, yeah. But you look at the points over the seasons that they've raced, Plato has scored 4,904 points um, up to 2019, this is. Okay. This is when they were both in the sport together. Yeah, 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 makes sense. Um, Neil has scored 4,641, um, which is pretty damn close. Take out the illegal years of the Vox of the uh, Integra. We'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the Acura. We'll see where. <laughs> and along that sort of like timeline, Neil beat Plato seven times. Plato beat him thirteen times. Um, obviously, there were two seasons, two thousand two, two thousand three, where Plato didn't compete as well, which I haven't taken into consideration. But if you look at how close and how consistently they both score points, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. I'm going to ask you a really horrible question now. Oh, God. Go on, then. Who do you rate higher? Oh. That is a horrible question, isn't it? I wasn't expecting that. Um, who do I rate higher? In overall? Or racecraft? Or over, championship pack. ability? Well, or The championship ability has got to be Neil because he wants one more. But overall, the whole package together. If you, if you now had Matt Neil or Jason Player in their prime and you could pick one of them to be on your team, who would you pick? Plato. Interesting. Why? Well, why? Why would you pick Plato? Well, why, who would you pick, first of all? Neil. Why? Because I just trust him that little bit more. And in Plato's own words in his book, he's got that gung-ho attitude mm. where it's first or it's pointless. And if he just... That might not be a direct quote. <laughs> if, if he just settled a couple of times... You think of those championships and you think, was there a race in those three seasons where he made a stupid move to mm. go for a place he didn't necessarily need to go for yeah. And has that cost him the four points necessary to win the title? Yeah. With Matt Neal, whilst he had the aggression and had the approach and had that I want to win, I'd also trust him that if he's in second and the win is possible, but only if you make a move that is 50-50, 60-40 or, or not, you know, not in your favour, I trust him to come on the radio and say to him, Matt, hold second, this is good points, mate, and him not launch it. Not every time, I'm saying, but nine, eight times out of ten, He'll, set, he'll settle. So what I'm hearing is you prefer the Colin Turkington approach of bank the points. I don't prefer the Colin Turkington approach because he does that when he's eighth. <laughs> but when you're second and you're racing against, I don't know, let's say a Mike Jordan, let's say a Fabrizio Giovinazzi, these big you know, names from that era, is it better to take the second and know what it's going to do with the championship or is it to balls to the wall, going to make a lunge, we'll see what happens and hope for the best? I, I understand where you're coming from, but as a whole, and I'm thinking, mm. being the driver he is, the personality mm. he is, the mm. the skills that he puts on show, the aggressiveness that he has, yes, it can lead to you becoming unstuck at times, but as you've already said, he may not have necessarily been in the best car all the time. That is true. 
And I think Neil being mainly at Honda, obviously he had a couple of years at VXR. Um we, we might get talk, we don't talk about that. We might get into that one day. Um he's always been in a car that has been either first or second not always. Not when mainly. Yeah, in, oh, in his main area. In yeah. his main yeah, area, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, sort of like in this run that I'm talking about yeah, yeah. where they were both so consistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Primarily, Neil always had the better car, in my eyes. I wouldn't disagree, but the better car, the best car doesn't always win. No. You've still got to drive it properly and you've still got to. There's a difference to me between playing the number game and being boring, which, with respect, I, f- I find Turkton. But it works, you can't argue with it, and he's the one that sat in his nice big home with five, sorry, four, four touring car championships on his... Awarding him another one there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, he's the one who's got four t- championships on his mantelpiece, and he's, you know... Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, I, I, as a fan, as a pundit, find it dull when you're going to okay. settle for seventh place. I don't think you can throw that at Matt Neal. What I'm saying is that he knows the high position places. Yeah. If I, if Matt Neal is seventh, he's pushing to get sixth. If okay. Matt Neal's second, he knows not to be silly to get first. That That's what I'm saying. And for Plato, it's, oh, I can get a win here. Do you also like more of the fact that Neil is more of a team player as well? No, I, I don't care about team, okay, team play. Right. You've got to be... You've, the, you, you, your team can't win the... Your team can win the championship, but you, your team can't win the drivers' championship. Your team can stop you trying to win the drivers' championship, as, as evidenced by Voxel. <laughs> but you, know, you and your teammate can't share the drivers' championship, so no. it's got to come a point where you've got to go. Do you know what, mate? Forget you. I, mm. I've got to go for myself here. And we saw that with Neil and Shedden at um, Brands Hatch. Um, no, Alton Park. Park. My apologies. Yeah. Into the gravel trap for yeah. myself. So you know. But yeah. Uh, but to be fair to Matt Neal, I would say that is one of the only stupid moments I can remember from his career. Mm. I think you can remember more of Plato. Yeah, but doesn't that make him the more iconic driver? That wasn't the question. No, that is My true. question was, who would you have in your race team at their pomp? Not who's more iconic. I yeah. agree with you. I think Plato is more iconic than Neal because of yeah. those moments. And I completely agree with you. And because of his character and because of those moments and because of the fact that he's produced some quite ludicrous moments. You think the Ashley Sutton incident, which was just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You think of the fight in the Rockingham pit lane, which, in my opinion, he initiated. Well, I was I was just going to circle back to that. Do you think that made that rivalry hotter, or do you think that was very much for the cameras? No, I think I don't think it was faked at all. Or, yeah. or I, I think it was genuine. You know, they had been knocking each other all that qualifying session. Yep. Plato gets out the car and makes a finger motion was it a middle finger was it just in pointing number one <laughs> you can make your own mind up I don't want to say and then Neil threatening to rip your face off Jason and putting back his fist for a punch yeah I don't think that's faked I don't think that was just for all the cameras I, there was in their own words real needle needle and despise it, it was just the fact that the cameras were literally right there and both their dads were there yeah. going hey hey calm down boys calm down yeah. tell them to stop it <laughs> be it's, careful Jason be careful it's a brilliant piece of, of camera work as well yeah. just to catch that moment um, and I think it really sparked their rivalry if it hadn't already done um to make it the rivalry that it was. Um, and I think, yeah, it'd be great to see possibly like classic touring cars, have them racing the same team, maybe do an endurance race together. Yep. They've flirted with the idea of it 
in more recent times, um, and it would be quite cool to see, I think. Like it could end up with dynamics. I know. Don't rule it out. <laughs> yeah. Don't rule it if out. If they get the extra car. We'll see it. But I think that one thing I will say the Plato Neil stuff is that I think Plato will be missed more than Neil in the sport, personally. Yes. Although I still think Neil is the better driver. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> so then, Jason Plato, he is meant to be retiring now. Yep. Um, do you see him going off and doing other bits and pieces? Will he take well, a year out and assess his options? He's flirted with the idea, as you say, of doing something about Neil. He's flirted with the idea about doing something with Karun Chantok, who he's yep. quite friends with, who does the F1 commentary, or sorry, punditry rather, on Sky, for those who don't know who Karun Chantok is, um, and has some bizarre takes from time to time, but yep. I suppose we all do. Um, so we might see him and Karun do something together. Um, Karun has intimated an interest in the touring cars, so... Maybe he comes in and plays with coaches. Don't know. We'll see. Mm, Plato, of course, has done coaching in the past. Yeah, his driver academy uh, saw people like Tom Ingram come through the ranks. Some, something that we haven't even been able to cover in this is is the amount of drivers that he's nurtured and been able yep. to help along the way. Whether that be teammates, whether it be young drivers and stuff like that, he's nearly always willing to lend an ear. Yep. To any problems that people have in the paddock with the cars and stuff like that, and is normally fairly forthcoming with um, with chat on that that side of it. Yeah, so I think it's not the end for racing, um, but I do think it is the end of touring car racing. I don't think we're going to see him him back. Do you think he'll go off and do stuff like Le Mans and Dakar and? Yeah, he's he's expressed he's expressed an interest in endurance racing and other bits and pieces. Might go do something like um, uh, Extreme E. I don't. Mm don't overly see that personally but don't rule anything out I think endurance racing I wouldn't be surprised if he does a stint in British GT okay I think that's a a gentleman series and I think that would suit Plato quite well you you say gentleman series I think he might move more towards the classic touring era and and more of the revival Goodwood events well Team Sicily are looking to focus (laughs) on uh, historics now so and they possibly need a driver Um, but yeah do you have anything further to say on the man no, I think, as I say, he will be missed from the grid. Um, this is where he pulls the ultimate double bluff and he's back next season. But, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, if he is gone, and I think he is, I'm 99.9% sure we're not seeing him back, he'll be missed. And I think I think touring cars, whether you like him or don't like him, owe a lot of thanks to Jason Plato. Yes, certainly. Um, and until the first practice session starts next season, um, I think only until then can we go, oh, yeah, he's meant to be retiring. <laughs> I don't even think then. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You guarantee if he turns up at a race track, all the cameras will be on and go, oh, is he going to jump in a car? Yeah. No, yeah, that's not how it works. But do you reckon he'll yeah. do any sort of commentary? No, I don't think he's... No, no. not in that Tim Harvey sort of mould? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. I think if he was to do anything, he'd maybe look to do presenting if Steve Ryder wants to call it a day. Yeah. But... Yeah, we know how good he is at presenting with all the fifth gear stuff that he's yeah, done. So again, I don't really see him wanting to. I, I think he was good at touring cars because he knows he can't compete at the, at the sharp end anymore. And he wants to do. You know, he's racing this series for how many years? Twenty odd years. Yeah, twenty it, plus. That's a job. That's a career. Yeah, it is. He wants to do something a bit different and fair play. Give it a go. Yeah, he's at the age to retire, and he he deserves to go off and enjoy his life and choose exactly what he wants to do. Um, so yeah, he certainly will be missed. I just thought. Go on. Reckon he'll make a guest appearance on the smallest cog at some point. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe. He's got plenty of cars, hasn't he? So, yeah, it could yeah. be a possibility. We'll see. And maybe on Saturday night kitchen, Saturday morning kitchen with James Martin, whatever he does these days. 
massacring a steak with some butter. You know. I wonder when you're going with that. <laughs> oh, you see how James Martin cooks. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, we're going to make today fried egg, and here's twelve kilograms of butter which we need. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, we hope that you've enjoyed this uh, fairly brief run through of Jason's career, um, and I'm sure you will all have different memories of him. Put them down on our social media, and we'll gladly read through them as well. Um, thank you for all your support across the year. We will have sort of like a news podcast between now and Christmas. One, maybe two of them, depending how much more stuff gets announced. Um, but yeah, we will be back again, hopefully next week, um, to give you a good update. And um, we'll speak to you again soon. Absolutely. And just as a final point from me, obviously it's tis the season for Spotify Wrapped, which is always fun. We are genuinely blown away by the growth and support we've had this year. So thank you to each and every listener. As I said on our Facebook post earlier, when we started this off, we never dreamt people would actually listen to two lads sitting in a cupboard talking about touring cars. Like, it is bonkers that we have got so many listeners out there. And honestly, it really is massively appreciated. So thanks very much indeed. The biggest thing that got me was the different countries. I know. We're big in the sink in Hong Kong. I know. Major things. Uh, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll catch you up again with the news next week. Remember to subscribe, follow and also share our podcast for more touring car updates. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook by just searching for BTCP, British Touring Car Podcast. And you can also contact us there or on our email at btccpod at gmail.com. 